Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. So turn to uh, uh, Isaiah. We're in the series of in Isaiah coming quickly to an end as we approach the Christmas season, but this is all, you know, Isaiah is about as Christmas as you're going to get from the Scriptures. Um, and uh, we're looking at Isaiah 55 today as we, as we skip a stone across the, across the lake that is Isaiah. Um, and we're going to look again at this most quoted prophet uh, who, uh, um, what, what strikes me about Isaiah is, and I go back to this from, I go back to this original conversation that God had with Isaiah at the beginning, and he says to Isaiah, after cleansing him from his sin, he has this moment of culpability, he has this moment of, of uh, this aha moment about how he is a, he, he, he he was a well-spoken man, a well-written man, a well-educated man of his day. And so he comes to the conclusion that the, that the things he's good at, he's a good speaker. He's, he, had, he had gifts, he had oratory gifts. And he comes to the place where he goes, I am a man of unclean lips. Even what I have that's good is, is filthy before God. Who can cleanse me? And God cleanses him of his sins at the place of his own sense of vulnerable vulnerability and then and then God says well I have a job I want I, I, I want someone to go speak to a people who will not bend who will not turn who will only reject the message that you speak and Isaiah says I'll do it that's how overwhelmingly cleansed that overwhelming uh, an overwhelming sense of gratitude and over an overpowering sense of of uh, of mission that his forgiveness produced in him. And the thing that gets me about that is that God promised he would preach this message and none of the people who heard it would be, would be moved by it. And yet, I look at the immense beauty of, this, of his passages. I don't know if you're struck by this over the time we've done this. The, the immense beauty of his words, the immense power of his images, the immense grace of his story that he's describing, how could they be unmoved by this? How is it possible? I read page upon page and I'm, and my, and I'm like, I'm welled up. I'm, I'm like, I'm driven. It, it reignites a sense of, of, of passion within me as I read this, especially different, you know, last week's Isaiah 53 and this week Isaiah 55 and others, you know, Isaiah 42, the, just, and I don't know if you're sensing that same thing. When you read these things, when you read this passage, you go, how in the world can someone... And, and then I go back and I go, well, I know exactly why. I know exactly how. The human heart is given to lethargy. It's given to its own sense of anesthesia. It's given to, to the human heart if left unattended, if left without spiritual guidance, if left without the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. The human heart diverts to darkness. It diverts to, it diverts to, uh, to a, a, a lack of productivity. It diverts away from passion. It diverts, it diverts to meh. You familiar with that concept? If you have a, if you have a cell phone, if you've texted anybody in your life, the word M-E-H means something. How's your day? Meh. How you doing? Meh. How was work? Meh. What does that mean? It means, it means it's not moving me. I'm neither high nor low. I'm bland. I'm, I have no, I'm like, and sometimes it means I'm having a bad day. So I don't know how you use it, but most of the time it's, eh, eh, whatever, you know. It's the way when my teenagers came home from school. How was school? Eh. But then when they went to, they told me that in the car from school to home, but as soon as they got in and Becky said, how was your day? Remember that. I'm going to come back to that in a minute because there's a reason for that. Look at Isaiah 55. Let's see again some beautiful language about what God's doing and what he's done. Follow along, first one. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you, will and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will be delighted in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely, you will summon nations you will know not, that you know not, and nations that you do not know will hasten to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so, so that it yields the seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the, the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd uh, inform our minds, captivate our hearts, and empower our will to do as you desire, to live freely and be the splendor that you've made us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know, many of you probably have, have dogs or dogs, cats, pets of some time or, 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 uh, or have had them growing up or at some time. And you're like, we, we, had, we had two dogs. I didn't grow up with dogs. And so, you know, and, uh, and so I wasn't really, that wasn't part of my upbringing. But, um, but it was Becky. She had several dogs growing up. And so, so not having a dog in her life was more painstaking than, than me. I mean, for me, it was great. The only, the only requirement I had when I finally succumbed, because, you know, as soon as the option of dogs, you know, when you have children, they grow up, and it's the option of a dog comes up, if, of course, you're getting a dog. We have to have a dog, right? Because the kids are all about having the dog, and they, and they know who's the one standing in the way. Certainly not Mom. Dad, can't we have a dog? When can we have a dog? I said, well, we can, we can have a dog as long as when having a dog, it remains a people house with a dog rather than a dog house with people. Okay, you don't understand the distinction between those ideas? We're a people house with a dog. I'm fine with that. Dog house with people, not fine with that. Not for me. You can have whatever house you want. And I'll come visit you. That's great. But um, so we did that. We got a couple of dogs uh, and, and uh, we, decided, we decided we liked Border Collies the best. And they're the smartest of all dogs. And they're beautiful dogs. And we thought if we're going to get a dog, we better get a smart one because we live in a dumb house. So, and I'm dumb. And we, and we endeavored. And I, just, I thought it was unique. I thought it was fun that, you, that you, we could train, the dog, train Border Collie and do fun things. And I like the idea of that kind of thing. And they're real, real receptive to that idea. Um, and we, we did our best. I, you know, both of them that we had were relatively good. The, f the first one, I think we were better than the second one. I'm not sure. The second one had psychological problems. Um, that's proven to be true. So it's not just me making, a, making, it's not me making an excuse. Um, but the thing that what, what, when, when you go to, and I was learning how to be a dog trainer because I didn't grow up with dogs. I didn't, I'd never done that. I knew people that did, that did that. So the first thing we wanted to do is, you know, when you get, we got them both as puppies. We got the first one as a puppy and we, and we you know, you, you take them home and they're cuddly and cute. And, and, uh, and then the first thing that the, tra that the trainers, the people who know how to do this tell you, the first command, the first command 
that they have to know, okay? Apart from their name, you want to teach them their name, that's, but, that's, but that's also part of the second command. Second, first command, go together. The first command that, you, that they have to know before you take them off the leash, before they can do anything is come. Come. You want to, you, because, because the, you want them, you know, they want, you know, you want them to perk up when you say their name. So, you know, you say, oh, Maggie. And then, that was our first dog's name, Maggie. And so, Maggie. And so, they wanted her to perk, perk up, that they know who that is, and then come. Why come? Because when they, because when they go, when they're out there, you want come to, you want to get them back. And especially if you lose them. You're, so, the first command is, in case you know, for their safety, for your safety, for the safety of anybody that's out there, you want, no matter how wonderful your dog is, people out there not ner- nervous about dogs or might, might cause trouble or the dog might get in trouble in, in an urban culture that, like we're living in. Yeah, and so when there's no big fields to run in where there's no danger, but even, in, even when there's tractors, you want to say, come, and you want to immediately, you know, Maggie, come, boom, okay, quick, you know. Um, well, we tried to teach. We tried to teach that, and she wasn't getting it. And I was, and I was, uh, and I wasn't good at learning that process because I, because apparently, according to the trainers, I bring a, I bring energy to the, to the situation. Uh, and so, and so, what the trainer with Maggie was te- told us is that because she wasn't coming because is because when I would when I would do come you know I'm there's too much energy for a and and they call border collie soft dogs not hard dogs because they're they're soft because they learn quickly and they and I created this energy of come was like my when my mother okay the way that I took it was it was the way what they were teaching me was the way that Lucy, the way that Maggie heard the word come was the same way I heard the word come when my mother would say, Drew, Dareth, come right here. Come here, come here, come here, come here. You know? What, and what do you want to do when that happens? As a child, when I'm, when I'm growing up, what do I want to, I don't, do I want to, Drew, where are you? Come here. My mother would say, and I go, I don't want to go anywhere near that. And that's what, that's the way, now the, now, now the trainer didn't tell me that, but that's the way I imprinted on it. And that, and so I had put my mother's energy, my, my energy, I'm not going to blame it on my mother. I'm, I'm me, she's, she's her. And so my energy went into the word come. And so now come, it's a bad word. And now I've ruined the dog. So now we can't, now there's danger. Now we now, it's the first, it's the first thing. It's the first thing. And I've ruined it. So, so, okay, but we, she tells us, okay, you don't have to, the dogs don't understand the language. They understand the, the commands. They're, 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 they're imprinting on the command. They're imprinting on the energy. And so just change the word. So instead of come with Maggie, we use the word here. And some others use the word heal. Because you want them when they come. You want them either here or you want them on the, on the side. And we're changing. So, okay, okay. All right, that worked out great. So then I'm going, here, 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 Maggie. You know, it's here. You know, so they're teaching me to have the lilt at the end and the make it. A, and so, and then, and then how do you imprint on that? Well, you imprint on it the same way you imprint, the, imp, the way you imprint on, a, on, like a, on like a 15-month-old child. You know, or, you know, and you go, and they're, they're just about ready to walk. You know, they're on the verge. They've got the balance, and they're ready to make the steps. And what do the parents do? One stands over there, and the other one's got the hole, and the other parent's going, come, come see me. Come to mommy. Come. That's what you want to do with a dog. So Becky and I would get treats in our little pouches, and we'd stand on either side of the house, and we'd go, Maggie, here, here. And then when she would get there, give her a treat. And then she would go, here, here, and get a treat. And so now here, come, became this wonderful moment. This is, there's no energy here. This not, it's not my mother going, here, Drew, come here, Drew. You know, it's none of that. It's treat. Here means treat. Come means treat. Here, come means happy. Come means pets and wonderful. And, you know, and then it worked. That's what you want in that situation, okay? Now, the reason I go into extended explanation about that is not to, not to unduly compare us to the concept of training a dog, 
but to say that many people live with the impression that when God says, come here, he's saying it like I said to Maggie the first time. Come! Come here! And Isaiah, the prophet, is telling us that God is not that image. He's not bringing that energy to it. He says here, come, all of you. Come, 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 all the thirsty. Come, find water. Come, all ye who are weary, who have no money. Come, all ye who are, who are, and find, listen to me, listen to me, come and eat and find. He's, he is wooing us. He's, he's changing our impression of, of who he is and of, and of what we are. As, as, we said, as we've said a number of times, that what happened in the Garden of Eden is it so polluted, sin so polluted our thinking, so polluted, so contaminated our understanding of God that we, that we, we began in the Garden after we sinned, after we rebelled, after that moment, that break, that, that fall occurred, we no longer saw God the same way. Up until the time when we sinned in the Garden of Eden, we're walking with God every day in the cool of the Garden. And at, the, at midday, it's time, God, you know, and there's a, a walk together with, with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, the scriptures say. The, the impression of that was is that they had a regular, daily, day-by-day experience where God's coming. This is great. He's coming to be with us. We get to be with him. We get to walk. We're going to walk with him in the garden and enjoy all this pleasure that he's provided for us. What an amazing... But as soon as sin entered, God shows up for the walk and they're nowhere to be found. That, the, that sin came and it polluted their thinking to now, rather than walking with God in the cool of the day, in utter vulnerability, you know, naked and, and vulnerable before God, and without any sense of fear or shame, they're, now they're hiding. Now they're running. Now they're, now they're closed in. Now they're, and so God says, Adam, where are you? Eve, we're, we're here. It's, it's time for our walk. And and he and Adam says, "Well, we were, we discovered that we were naked, and <laughs> and we're ashamed. We're sort of feeling shameful of that." And and God says, "Well, why are you? What? Who told you you were naked? How are you? Why is that a problem? What's going on? What happened? What happened?" And from that day until now. And with, the, and with the multiplication factor of generations and the multiplication factor of, of, uh, of practice, we have become allergic to God. We've become allergic. So we live in a sense, one author puts it like this, if I can find it. Hearing for years the persistent message, God is against you from the day of your birth, rather than God loves you, and you, are an, and you are of inestimable worth to him, has distorted a family's view of the faith more than anything else. And I say that in terms of not just what we, what we add on to our family experience, or not, what, not only what we add on to our sense of how we adapt to life, but we are born with an allergic idea about God. We're born not with this idea of being drawn to him. And so when he says, come, we're like, oh, of course. No, we're born with this allergic, this, this, this repulsive sense where I don't want to be with him. I don't trust him. I don't, uh, and I think if I, if I come near him, he's, he's, you know, come here. And so even, there's a sense where even when we read those words, and even when the Israelites and the people of God were hearing Isaiah say, come, there's a sense where he probably had to say, say it in the tone, say it in a way that helps them realize this God and the, 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 the picture, that's why the picture language is so necessary and so important. You know, we, we use tone, and I filled, I filled Maggie's tone, that it was my tone that was filled. So even if I have the treat, the energy I'm bringing says, I don't want to live through 
the energy to get to the treat. There might be something at the end of that rainbow, but I don't want to go through the energy to get, and that's, what a, that's the, na- the nature of the sense of the dog. And even, and even with sometimes with our people, I told you when my, when my kids came home, remember I told you to come back to this story? And I bring them home from school. Hey, how's your day? Mm, it's okay. Anything good? Hmm. What was the, what's, okay, what's your, what's, what was the, what was the high, high point? What was your low point? I don't know, I can't remember. Something, you know, lunch, what, you know. But as soon as they walk through the door and they go and they're in there and then Becky says, how was your day? It's like, and they're talking up a storm and I can't, can't believe about my friends and this and the other and I got the, I got, you know, and I'm going. And there was one time, this was very evident as I'm walking in and it hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings. And I go, and, I, and when the kids were gone and Becky and I had them in, I go, what what is, why in the heck? What's with these guys? I asked them the same. As a matter of fact, I asked them more, more penetrating questions than you did. I was more curious about their high point and low point than you were. All you did was, you know, while you're cooking dinner, you weren't even focused on it. And you said, how was your day? And they're like going crazy. And, and then she had to tell me the hard truth. She says, when you ask questions, it sometimes sounds like an interrogation. And, I, and my response to that was, well, what do you mean? What are you trying to, what are you trying to say? Can you, what, when have I done this? What are you, what are you, you know, and she's going. And that was one of the penetrating lessons that was teaching me the same thing that Isaiah is trying to teach us about God. Becky had in our in the relationship with the kids had created a climate. Some of it is her natural ability. Some of it is her intentional ability. Um, some of it is spirit driven in terms of that that she she had in the lives of our children over that time and for had created a climate of come. And my energy, natural ability, sin, difficult, you know, and, you know, uh, my sense of passion, my sense of drama, my sense of, of, you know, extroversion was, was regurgitating on them. And although there might be a real curiosity and a real engagement in that moment, they didn't want to get past, they wanted to get, they, they have to get past the energy to get to the prize. And so Isaiah teaches them with word pictures. And God in his word says to the Israelites, I know you're thirsty. I know you're tired. You've been laboring. You've been laboring to find bread. You've been laboring to to, to be satisfied. And you're tired. And you you lack, you, you, you lack wealth. You lack resources. You lack Come to me. Come to me. Here's the, here's the, here's the thing. Don't come. It's not, it's not that the satisfaction. One, a couple of things we, we discover here is, number one, God is amazingly interested in our satisfaction. Does that make sense? Does that ever strike you? God is, God is amazingly, this passage is telling us, he is amazingly interested in our satisfaction. Not just moral perfection, not just performance, not just effectiveness, not just, you know, sort of honor and glory, but he is desperately interested in our satisfaction. Of the things that are mentioned here, he mentions, he mentions water, he mentions milk, he mentions bread, he mentions wine. All of those things are used for different things. You can't use you can't use wine the same way you use water. I mean, you can, but when you do, you run into trouble. You can't use milk the same way you use water, especially after you've run for 12 miles. I encourage you not to do that because if you do, it will cause trouble. Nor, on the other hand, you can't use water the same way you use wine. Well, you could, but it isn't quite the same, is it? 
Same with bread. You can't use bread the same way you use milk and wine. And they all serve different purposes. They're all, they're all meant for different aspects of our satisfaction, of our survival. And, the, and what God is saying is, no matter what element you need, no matter what element, all of these are part of what I want you to have. I want you to have all these. I want you to be refreshed. I want your body to be, to be restored the way that water provides that. I want you to be fed. I want you, I want you, to, to, I want you to drink milk. I want you to have, the, the milk is this, what do we give our children when they're born? Babies. He's saying, babies, get milk. They, what do they need most? They can't eat. They can't, I mean, even water. We're not giving babies water predominantly when, when they're new, when they're brand new, brand spanking new, right? They're not getting water, they're getting milk. Because that's, the, that's what builds, that's what builds and grows. Bread, I want you to be filled, I want you to be satisfied, I want you to have a sense of growth and nurture. Wine, I want you to celebrate. You want, is there value in wine? Obviously there's value in wine because God says, I've got it for you and I want you to have it. It's part of what my grace is. It's not just bread and water. That's what you get here. You come to me, come, come on, get your bread and water. That's what a lot, that, and we're born with a sense, we're born, keep in mind, because of our brokenness, because of our sinful nature, because of what, we, what happened in the garden, we are innately endowed with an allergic reaction to God, and so when God says come, we think, yep, bread and water, necessities of life, Let's just, just get the bread and water, and the, what Isaiah says, I know that's what you think, I know that's maybe what you were taught, but what you need to know is that God wants it all for us. He wants, he's desperately involved for our satisfaction. He doesn't just simply want us to survive, but to thrive, to celebrate, to be filled, to be, to be energized and, and, and overwhelmed, as it were, even if you forgive the term, but I'm using it in this particular way, drunk with his love. That's the nature of what he's providing. And he has to teach us this over and over again. This is the nature of Scripture. This is why we have so many stories in the Scriptures because, the, the, you know, and some people have the impression, well, I like, I've talked to people who, don't, who are still discovering who God is and who still have this allergic reaction in their minds. Um, and, uh, and they go, you know, I like the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. God of the Old Testament seems very much, very sort of, come here. The God of the New Testament is like, come on, gang. And therein lies an ignorance. Because the God of the Old Testament, we see the, we see the display of God's beautiful character. It's, it's immense diversity and it's overwhelming extremity and but yet in the old testament are such powerful displays of his love such powerful displays of his sense of of drawing and of being so uh, the, the thing about the, the god of the old testament people say he's the you know, it's the angry god um and uh do you know who the do you know who the angriest people on the planet are if you were to ask who the angriest people on the planet are you, you, don't have to, you don't have to shout it out or anything, but just who, who would you think are the angriest people on, in the world over the centuries? It's consistently, the, in my opinion, the same, same angry people. Mothers. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a joking way. I mean that in a very serious way. Uh, because mothers are these people are these people who have had this attitude and have ingrained it in us. Mothers say, uh, "You mess with my kids, I will own you. I will own you. You do not mess with." I mean, I have never seen my mother more angry than when she, when somebody was threatening me, picking on me. I was the smallest kid in the world, and they're picking on me. And she would either she would either cry about it, or she would burn about it. These are the images in the Old Testament of God. He is the, he is the infinite mother of his children. You mess with my kids, I will, I will. And here's a God, here's a person. My mother didn't have the resources, didn't have the wherewithal to be able to do what she innately wanted to do. She didn't have the power to bring to bear upon all the kids that picked on me. 
Lord, help us if she did. God is an eternal, powerful God. He has the resources. He has the power to do as his anger, as his love. Why is my mother angry? Because she loved me. Because some, something was getting in the way of her, of the happiness of her child. And why do we see God in the Old Testament? The way? Because he is, something's getting in the way of my children. Something is destroying the lives of the people that I love. And I will, I will own you. But to his children, come to me. Come and be satisfied. Come and find the richness that I want you to have. Come. And, here's, and he says, and I, and I know because of this allergic thing, you're spending money on things that cannot, that cannot satisfy you. You're spending your money. You're laboring. You're laboring on things that don't satisfy. And you're trying to find your satisfaction, your happiness in ways that, you, that are just destroying you, that are, that are causing this, this utter, that's causing you to be more restless. There, and every one of you, Every one of you has something in your life that's at the root of you, that's, at the, that's driving you, that maybe you're unconscious of. Something or, and, and I think it's, it, we could probably boil it down. If you, if you and I spent some months together weekly talking about it, we could boil it down to one thing, and the, to, to the one thing driving you, and the, or, or one consistent thing. But often it's several things that are, that are driving you that are sort of conscious. There's probably one main route, but there's a couple of other sort of sub-routes that go into there that, 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 you, that at the very center of you, that when you have it, makes you happy makes you satisfied, makes you peaceful, makes you, gives you a sense of fulfillment, and, then, and, and that when you don't have it, drives you to restlessness, to uncomfortableness, to a sense of something's wrong, that you don't have a sense of yourself, that whatever it is. But each of you has something like that, and if you haven't discovered what those things are, I would, t- I would encourage you to spend some time because it, with, with, in personal discovery and through, the, uh, through b- biblical co- concepts and through, maybe through friendships and, through, and part of what our growth groups are trying to do is get people to get to those places in their lives because the only way that you're going to be satisfied is when you discover that you're buying bread with the raw... You're, trying to, you're, buying, you're working so hard to buy bread that isn't satisfying. Whatever that is, whatever your happiness is, I just have to be. I just have to be married. I just have to have children. Why, God, God, why can't you give me the sense of security that I that I desperately want? Why, oh, why, God, can't I be good at something? See, those things are at the center of us, and 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 all of those things, children, marriage. Having a, having a skill, having some, being known for something. Um, the evil of our lives doesn't look evil. Those central driving forces aren't evil. The, the things that are stealing us away, the things that are getting in the way of our sense of satisfaction in this world and living holy, living the shalom that God provides us, that full sense of peace, that full sense of glory, aren't aren't necessarily the the immoralities of your life. Because here's the thing, the immoralities that I can see in your life, whatever they are, whatever whatever sex, drug, and rock and roll that that you're living out here, that's the fruit of your tree. That's not ultimate that's not predominantly the the driving force it's not that i have to have a particular thing or you know particular thing i need sex i need drugs i need rock and roll and live my you know there's something is something else driving that and it just comes out in those places and god says you're buying bread it's not doing a thing but i can give you bread and he and here's the thing it's not that the wine the water the milk the bread are the thing. He says, what does he say? Come to me. The solution's not a thing. It's a person. The solution, the solution to satisfaction, the solution uh, to what God is trying to communicate here about his grace, the solution to our struggles is not, is not a thing, an activity. It's, it's a relationship. And when that relationship is intact, when there is no sense of, uh, of brokenness, when there is no sense, uh, when there is no loss of intimacy in that relationship, it is, so, it is so fulfilling and satisfying and joyful that it then empowers you to live in every other place. 
He says, and when you come to me, there's a sense where you are going to think you're not what, that what you deserve is condemnation. When you come, you think you're not going to get wine and celebration. You think you're going to get condemnation. You're going to get correction. You're going to get a sense of wrath and payment, which is what you deserve. Yes, and you do. And you and I do. The distance between us and God is huge. It is immeasurable. The way we have betrayed him is inestimable. And it deserves utter condemnation. He says, but I'm, I want you to come and get wine, but it's going to be free. Not because it's free. Because it costs a lot. It's, a, it's of this kind of mercy, this kind of grace from God is inestimable. The cost is astronomical, but it's going to be free to you. It's going to be free to you because somebody else paid it. It's like a college debit card. My kids went to college. Let's get a milkshake. Let's go have lunch. Go in the, go in the meal plan. You know, and the way the meal plan works is you, is you, is you go in and you slip, slip your card through the, the little gate and in walks one. And then my friend forgot his and I slip mine in the gate and he walks in too. They're buying all kinds of stuff for free, my kids. It's not because it's free. It, Lord knows. It took me 20 years to pay off what they spent. <laughs> but it's free to them because I paid for it. Well, and in my kids' life, we paid for it. I mean, our family, we, we, we all shared each other's issues there, but we, we paid for it so that free could occur. God says, come to me, all ye who are weary, come and, and buy milk and buy wine for free because I paid for it, because I'm providing this, because I have, I've made a covenant with David. This goes way back to David. I made him a sign. I paid for him. I'm paying for everybody. My resources are making it possible for you to have all of this. This is the nature. And when you come to me, you think you're going to get condemnation when you're actually going to get mercy. You're actually going to get freedom. You think because of your old mind, because of your old thinking, and sometimes because people have told you the wrong story, that you aren't going to get it for free, that you're going to have to earn it. I don't deserve it, one, yes. That's a good message. If you get the idea that the distance is great and you don't deserve it, that's great. That's part B. But then you think because you don't deserve it, you have to earn it. Same with the younger brother. He comes home. Remember, younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son? Younger brother, he's out there. Squat, you know. Now, the, the real secret to the story happens at the beginning, you know? This is, what they, this is what they tell you. Watch the beginning of any movie because all the stuff's in the beginning. He divided his estate, the father, between the two. Then the younger brother squandered it. He's eating with the pigs and it occurs to him, I don't deserve to be called my, son, my father's son anymore. I deserve to be a servant. True statements. He deserved, he did not deserve his father to forgive him. He had squandered his wealth. He didn't deserve to go home. He says, yes, I don't deserve. I've sinned against him and against heaven. I don't deserve to be called his son. I deserve to be one of his servants. So I'm going to go back home and I'm going to just be a servant because the servant lives better than I'm living right now. I'm eating with pigs. <laughs> I'm, I'm eating with pigs. I got nothing. Because he didn't think, he thought when he went home, what was he going to get? You don't deserve to come home here. Here's the son. His father, his, he wishes his father dead. Give me my estate now. I want, I wish you were dead now. Boom. And the father gave it to him. What? If I told my father, if I told my father, my father is 88 years old. He's closer to the end than I am. Closer to the end than the father was. And if I go to my father right now and say, Dad, uh, give me my part now. He'd go, what are you talking about? But the father said, here. So from the very beginning, 
Here, let me, I want your satisfaction. I want your hope. I want your life. I want you to have what you want to have. Boom, go. I love you. Probably crying, it's time. Then he says, I don't deserve to be the son anymore. Good, it's a true statement. True statement. Don't, I should be a servant. Yes, you should. And, ha, and the difference between a son and a servant is the son gets stuff like a college debit card. Servant, how does he get stuff? He works his butt off and then he gets paid. Quid pro quo. Son is grace. Servants are quid pro quo. And so the son thought, the son thought, I can't be a son anymore. I've lost that ability. I can't have that anymore. And so he understood the first part of the story. And then the second part of the story is, I have to now be a servant. I have to earn my keep with my dad. So he comes home. He says, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. You're right? Not worthy to be called your son. Right? And then the father stops him. It's at that point when he enters in and says, he didn't get to part three of his message. So make me like one of your servants. He didn't get to say that to his father. He, his father jumps in and says, my son that was lost is now found. Bring out the calf. Let's have a, let's have a feast. Wine, milk, meat, bread, water. Bring it all out. Bring it out and let's feast because my son was lost and is now found. He's home. Did the son get what he expected to get? No. He got grace. He got, the, he got the wine and the celebration. His natural instinct was, I can't, I won't. He's gonna say no. He's gonna be angry. But the father changed his mind. You come home, you get a celebration. You get grace. You get to be my son anymore. The relationship is what saves you. The relationship isn't quid pro quo. The relationship isn't, this is the other damaging thought that absolutely you don't deserve to be a son. You've messed up. You don't deserve, you deserve to be a servant. But the grace of God is all the things you deserve, you don't get. You get, and this is where God says, you think you deserve condemnation. But my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. As the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. My thoughts are higher. When you think you're going to get condemnation, I'm going to give you mercy because I think better, higher thoughts than you do. I know. I know things you don't know. I'm providing a thing. I'm providing a grace that you have no concept of. You don't get in your old thinking. And when your thinking changes, your life changes. And the celebration began. And the older brother comes out from working. The good son. And he comes to the house and he sees, and there's a party going on. And he's going, what's going on? What's going on? And the servant comes out and says, huh? You saw your brother, he's back. Your father found him, he was dead, and he's alive. We've, we've killed the fattened calf, and we're having this party, and there's wine, and there's bread, and there's milk, and there's water, and there's people, and it's exciting. Come on in! And the, and, the, and the older son, I'm not going there. Now, here's the interesting thing. And then, and, and then the father comes out to him, says, what's up? This son of yours squandered everything and you throw a fatted calf party for him. You killed the best that we have for him and I've been here and he said, he said, he said, I've been slaving for you all these years and not once did you even give me a tiny little goat to serve with my friends. How did the older brother think of himself all these years He's the good son. That's what we all think. He's the good son, right? He stayed home. He didn't run off. He didn't ask his father to be dead. <laughs> but th that older son wasn't the good son, not inside, only on the outside. On the inside, he was a slave. On the inside, he was earning his relationship. On the inside, he was doing and doing and doing and expecting, expecting, expecting. And that's why in the end, when he sees this, he didn't do anything and he gets the fatted calf. I've been doing everything and I get nothing. He thought the relationship was about quid, quid, quid pro quo. I get out what I put in. And the father had to tell him, no, 
Everything I have is yours. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, as a matter of fact, remember the beginning of the story? It's almost like he wanted to say to his son, remember the beginning of the story? Remember when he left? I gave him his and I gave you mine. He gave you yours. So if you don't have a young goat to celebrate, who's that on? It's on you. You could have had it all. You did have it all. You do have it all. The other element of the problem, the other reason the other brother was a little energized about it was because when they had the party for the older brother or for the younger brother, all of his money was gone. Who's paying the tab for his college debit card? The older brother. And every time, that's going to be true in every situation. Every time a younger brother comes home, it's going to mean the other brothers and sisters have to pay the due. Practically speaking, God's got, because, because God's, but see, who put the investment in the older brother's account? The father. It was his money. It was his resources. He put it in the older brother's debit card. And so when the younger brother comes home and doesn't have anything to pay for the milk and the wine, and, the, and, he, comes, and he comes home, and whose debit cards, you know, you know, the older brother slips through his and puts it in the little turnstile and gets his out, and then the younger brother's right behind him. I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything. Well, who, who gets? Well, I put my card in. You come in. Well, it isn't my money to begin with. <laughs> I got this from dad, so you get yours from dad too. But we hold on to that card, boy. Me hold on to that card. Just like that older brother. We hold on to that grace, and we're going, we dole it out, and we're like, <sighs> I mean, are you, you got into this trouble because of you. You were the, you made your bed, so now lie in it. But see, that's old thinking. That's not the grace I got. That's the grace of the unmerciful servant who goes to the king and says, who, the, king, the king says, you owe me, you owe me a, a lifetime of wages that you can't pay and you're going to go to jail unless you pay it. And he says, king, just forgive me. I'm going to do my best to pay you back, but just have mercy on me. And the king says, okay, I'll have mercy on you. And he goes out. And it says, as soon as he leaves, this is the parable of the unmerciful servant, he runs out and he sees a fellow servant who gave, who owed him but a day's wages. And he says, it says he strangled him and says, give me what you owe me. And the other servants went and told the king. And the king brings him back in and says, how in the world could you treat this man Obviously, you have no idea what I did with you just a minute ago. Obviously, you have no clue. The grace I extended to you, the mercy, obviously, it's made no effect on you at all because you didn't, because the way that it would affect you is, you, is that I just gave you a, a, a freedom from a debt you can't pay, and now, I, and now you, didn't extend, you didn't extend freedom and grace to a man who he could pay. What? You don't get it, so off you go. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because grace produces grace. Grace produces generosity. Generosity produces generosity. Freedom produces freedom. That's why it says, in the end, you know, here's the, here's the interesting thing. God always calls us in in order to send us out. Isaiah, come in, overwhelmed by his grief and sin, and then he says, go out. Jeremiah, come in. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is sending you out. Come in to go out. We always have, whenever we have a powerful engagement, an encounter with God, it's always for the purpose of sending us out because God is still doing his work. His word is always producing a new thing. It's always producing what he wants. As powerful as he was at creation, let there be light, light. Let there be stars, stars. Let there be, let there be uh, a distance between the land and the seas and the, and the skies and the heavens. Let there be days. Let there be, boom, and it happened. His word is still doing that, even though it seems so silent sometimes. 
But he's, he's driving us out into a world. He calls us in to send us out to be merciful, to extend his grace, to, 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 to say this message. And when we go out, he says, we'll go out with joy when we leave God's presence. When we come in and see the forgiveness and see what he's done with me, when we're enamored with his person and the relationship he's established and the kind of God that he is and the wine and the, and the, and the milk, it sends us out with joy. And while we go out, it says the mountains are going to start shouting, singing. Mountains are singing. Trees are clapping. The people of God are extending in this world. And and here's the the interesting thing. What God says happens now is that when you you go about the, 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 the planting and the nurture of the world, when you go out to do, he says, when you, instead of a thorn bush, will grow a pine. When you go out to plant, now it's going to produce Vital, valuable substance, not thorns and thistles. The curse of the garden was you'll work, you'll toil, and it'll only produce thorns. It'll only produce briars. But now, pine trees. Now, myrtle bushes. When you walk out, this is the power of his grace. But he calls us in to receive it and to remember he is not a God looking for condemnation. He is not a God trying to make you slaves. He is a God who's trying to enamor you and to thrill you and to celebrate with you and me the freedom that he's provided because of the cost that his son took. His son, the older brother, that when the younger brothers got lost, the older brother came out to find us. And when he found us, he bore the debt that the younger brother had incurred with his own resources so that the younger brother could be brought in and celebrated. Fellow younger brothers, some of whom are older brothers at times, as much as I am. Ask my kids. Come. Eat, drink, pray, and sing. Grace of God's for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Pray that you'd uh, work in our hearts, change us, help us to see you in new, with new eyes, new hearts, new, new, uh, new attitudes, new motivations. I pray that you would, as you do that, Lord, that it, it would that we, it cause us to go out with joy and be led forth with peace and that we'd be on the lookout for the myrtle bush. We'd be on the lookout for the pine trees growing in, our, in the world that, that, you've, that, you've, uh, that you've led us into. Do this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.